Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Tom, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And just like Ben said, we are so excited to be in this, in this new space. And you might be uh, saying to yourself, self, why does Tom have a drill in his hand? Well, preachers like illustrations, right? So here's my illustration with the drill. It is next to impossible to hold one of these and not pull the trigger unnecessarily before your time is to drill something or screw it. Try it sometime, right? So I'm just going to sit here and try to um, not pull the trigger. There are other things that we feel compelled to do, right, and that we can't help ourselves. My wife cannot catch anything unless she claps her hands first. Try it. Next time you see Gail throw something at her, she'll clap, and then she'll try to catch it. How about, how about going to a restaurant, and the waiter says, careful, that's hot, and you instinctively just touch it. Oh, yeah, it's hot. Third-degree burns on your fingers. And the reason I give these silly examples is because in today's text, we are going to look at the apostles and how they were compelled to do something, do something positive. They were compelled to, um, to obey God and to share the love and the power of Jesus that they had experienced firsthand. I'm going to give you a quick recap. Last week, we talked about Peter and John healing a man who had been disabled for 40-plus years. And that healing created a ruckus, and it drew a crowd. And the crowd wanted to know, hey, how did you do that? Who are you guys? And Peter's quickly like, no, man, it's not me. It's not me. It's the name of Jesus. It's faith in and the power in the name of Jesus. That's what happened. I'm going to put my drill down now before I pulled the trigger unnecessarily. So that ruckus drew the religious leaders, and they did not like what they were seeing. They did not like what they were hearing, and they threatened the disciples, and the disciples are like, look, you can tell us all you want to not preach in the name of Jesus, to not heal in the name of Jesus, but we cannot help ourselves. We've seen this. We've experienced this firsthand. So you tell us. God has given us one set of orders. You're giving us another. Who would you follow? So with that, the religious leaders dismissed them, and they said, don't do it anymore. And the, um, the apostles and the rest of the believers, they continued together, and they were trying to figure out how to live life in this new community of Jesus. They were um, giving to each other, and they were eating together and praying together. They had great successes, and they did many signs and wonders, but they also struggled, right? There were members of the community who were having a hard time figuring out what it meant to love God and to love others and to live in this new community. And that's actually part of the, the text that we're going to skip, and Gail is going to circle back to that next week when she teaches on what life in the new community of Jesus is like. So that gets us to our text today. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been paraphrasing a lot of the book of Acts, and I didn't want any of us to miss anything today, so I've asked a couple of friends to read this in its entirety. So here we go. The apostles performed many miracle, miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some as he passed them by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, 
were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went to his officer, with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people to revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But it, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So our big idea for this morning, the personal experience of Jesus compels us to obedience and an uncontrollable desire to share him with others. This is such a historic moment in the history of the church. 
the, the honeymoon period of this new community of Jesus followers is over, and they're beginning to experience persecution. But that's not all. This persecution, as God does throughout Scripture, what man intends for evil, God uses for good. This persecution becomes a huge catalyst for the movement of Jesus. And you might have recognized, as uh, the Scripture was being read, it sounded very similar to the description I gave of the recap of chapter 3 and 4. That's because there are these two parallel passages. We're going to go full screen with this because it's a little bit of an eye chart. But I want you to take note. In chapter 4 and in chapter 5, there's two very similar encounters. The apostles are in front of the Sanhedrin. This is an imposing group. When they pull the full Sanhedrin in, it's 71 dudes with a bunch of scribes and Pharisees behind them and then court clerks around them. So this is like 125, 150 people, and the apostles are in front of them having to answer to, answer to them. But in these passages, we see these two things. We see a compulsion to obey God, and we see this compulsion to share Jesus, to share personal experiences, to share the witness of what they have experienced. So that's what we're going to concentrate on. The idea of the, um, the apostles' obedience, they couldn't help but but be obedient. So as we look at this, we think today they were dragged before the, the Sanhedrin. And we think about today, there are places in the world where it's like this. If you attempt to share Jesus, your life could literally be in jeopardy. Fortunately for us, persecution in the States is not, is not like that. Scripture tells us that there will come a time when we will experience that. But for now, we have to look at our day-to-day -day experiences and see how the compulsion to obey God plays itself out in these day-to-day -day experiences. It's kind of like, like training for something, like running a marathon. You wouldn't just go out and run a marathon. You would start by building up, maybe doing a little couch potato to 5K kind of deal and build up from there. So in this case, we're going to look at the everyday decisions that we have to, we have to make and see the choices we have to make between choosing to obey God and choosing to obey man. What do we do with our time? Does your rhythm and pace, does it allow you time for with God? Does it allow you time for the work of God, for God's people? What do we do with our money? Does our security come from our bank account or is it found in the name of Jesus Christ? Do we, when we receive money, as a blessing from God? Do we use it to bless other people or do we keep it all to ourselves? These are lots of little everyday decisions. How do we set priorities, right? What are the lenses we use to look at the decisions we have to make? Do we look at things like ease and comfort and keeping up with the Joneses to make a decision? Or do we say, is this going to help me better love God and love others? Is it going to help me do a better job at looking up, leaning in, and reaching out? How do we respond to those with whom we disagree? Jesus tells us in, in the first sermon that he ever gave, he says that we're to pray for those. We're supposed to bless those who persecute us and who would be our enemies. Or do the people who you disagree with or they disagree with you, do they become objects of hate and derision and social media memes? How do we respond to difficulties? Do we crumple up into a little ball and think that God has gone on a coffee break and he's just left us to our own devices when something hard happens or do we look at those circumstances through Jesus do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we look at those difficulties and just like with the apostles know that God can use even the hardest things 
for our good and for his glory. So all those choices we have to make, those are the little practice steps that we take as we get ready to make those big decisions. And our obedience, it may lead to temporal discomfort or difficulty like it did the apostles, but there's a big but, right? It doing, making those little decisions along the way, obeying God in the little things, it will be our compulsion. It will be second nature when the big things come up. We won't have to think about it. We will have decided ahead of time that we're going to obey God rather than man. When we choose to obey God rather than man, not only are we blessed and do we receive the peace of God, but the people around us receive blessing and the peace of God. Think about it. If you want to be the best um, spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, if you want to be the best son or daughter, the best friend, whatever it might be, the best thing that you can do is obey God. And in doing so, you will bring blessing and peace onto those, onto those around you. And finally, I would suggest to you that when um, God's instruction are our compulsion to action, that we are worshiping just as much as if we're singing or praying. Obeying God is one of the highest orders of worship that we can engage in. Obeying God was a compulsion of the apostles. The apostles also couldn't help but speak about Jesus. So I'm going to call myself out on this one as to give you kind of an example. Um, you guys know anybody who uh, is a paleo person, does keto, anything, anything like that? So here's the deal. When I first discovered paleo, I was like the paleo guy. I couldn't stop talking about it. I thought everybody had to eat paleo. If you didn't eat paleo, you're going to walk out the door and die tomorrow. It was just that, it was just that simple. For whatever reason, well, I know there are a couple reasons, right? So I felt compelled to tell everybody about the way I was eating. I had done some research, and the research was telling me that this is a good thing to do. I was in a group of people, some like-minded people, who also were choosing to, choosing to eat this way. I was seeing positive results in my life. I was seeing a positive change in my life. So that's kind of, but that compulsion, right, it, it fizzled. And it kind of often does. Not, not always. Like, I still try to um, eat as clean as, as I can. And not everybody who chooses, like, a diet, just as that example, does it fizzle. But sometimes it becomes inconvenient. It becomes unpopular. The people who are around you may, may go their own ways who are doing that same thing. But what, what was it that kept the apostles so compelled to be obedient and so compelled to speak what they had witnessed and experienced in the person of Jesus? I want to read to you. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians. I think it's a chapter 5, starting in verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So I'm going to go back to that last slide. Sorry, got ahead of myself. So th this perfect love of Jesus is what compelled the apostles and held them and held on to them and drove them, right? The power of the Holy Spirit drove them forward. And this love existed before the foundation of the earth, and there's nothing that can separate those who call Jesus Lord from this love. And that is what the apostles experienced, 
in the person of Jesus Christ, and that is what compelled them to obedience, and it compelled them to share their experiences with others. Now, we're walking around our everyday lives, and we don't always feel this compulsion to obey or to speak. Why, why is that? And I think, there's, I think there's two reasons. One, there's a, we have a lack of understanding of, of who Jesus is. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we continue, these are things that like we can grow in, right? The love of Jesus is perfect. It can't increase, it can't decrease. But our knowledge, our ability to experience, to engage it, to grow in it, that, that is possible to expand and increase. And I've shared this, this uh, positive feedback loop with you guys before, but I think it bears repeating. We come to a point when we, um, when we recognize who Jesus is and we acknowledge who he is, and we want to know more about him. So we pick up the Bible and we read. As we read, we begin to recognize the work of God around us. As we recognize the work of God around us, we experience God and we fall more in love with him. We fall more in love with him, so we want to know more about him. So we pick up our Bible and we read. And as we read, we recognize him more. We see his work more and we fall more in love with him. And we pick up our Bible and so on and so on. That is what we need to do to grow our understanding of who Jesus is. And as we do that, hey, let's think about just the first five chapters of the book of Acts, right? We see, we see Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, breaking through all kinds of barriers. We see Jesus extending the offer of salvation to people near and far. We see Jesus building a new community. We see Jesus providing uh, purpose to this group of people. We see Jesus taking these ordinary people and doing extraordinary things things through him this is just like this is the first five chapters of a 28 chapter book right think of all the other information the the picture of christ that we get from the totality of scripture as we get to know jesus more we will we will understand him more and that will drive that that compulsion second thing is is we lack an understanding of what we're supposed to say Scripture tells us that the apostles shared what they witnessed. Period. It doesn't say Peter left and went to Bible college. It doesn't say John memorized Luke's book. Luke, I'm sure Luke would have told us that if John had done that. They shared their everyday experiences, and that's what we have to do. We don't have to be theologians and Bible scholars. God does work in our lives, and that's what we are supposed to speak about. We're supposed to be witnesses. The apostles witnessed something amazing. So all you got to do is tell your story. But, 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 no, no buts, right? Just tell your story, what you have experienced. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to actually do this this week. I want you to write down your big story. Your big story is, write it down this way. What was your life like before you met Jesus? What were you like what brought you to Jesus? And then what are you like now? What is your life like now? That, that is your big story. And if you call Jesus Lord, everybody has that story. Sometimes it's a point in time and somebody can, I can point back to February 21st, 1988 and tell you that that was a day that I realized like, oh my gosh, Jesus really is who he says he is. And sometimes it's, it happens over a course of time and we kind of turn like, hey, I'm walking with Jesus. But we each have a story, and that story is yours, and it cannot be argued with. It differs in intensity and occurrence and um, frequency from, 
from everybody else. It's your unique story. And then you have your little stories of the way God intervenes in your life on a daily basis. Maybe you read the Bible before you walked out the door this morning and God spoke to you and gave you some encouragement for the day. Maybe you were blessed by a life-giving relationship. Somebody reached into your life and invested in you at a time when you needed it. Those are all the things that you are witnesses of and that you can share to bring glory to God and to share him with others. I want you to write those things down and then I want you to do two more things. Ready? I want you to pray for opportunities to share those things and I want you to pray for courage and boldness like Peter's to share those things. Make sense? All right. Recap. Here's your, your, I want you to write down your stories, big stories and your little stories. And just like I said, the first five chapters of Acts, there's so much in there. I want you to go back and I want you this week to reread those first five chapters and see how much there is to talk, to know about Jesus. And as we experience him, this personal experience of Jesus will compel us to obedience and it will create an uncontrollable desire to share him with others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your work in our lives. Lord Jesus, um, we, we ask that uh, you would help us to see your work in our lives, that you would give us opportunities to share you. God, that when we feel that little tap on our shoulders from the Holy Spirit, we would obey it, and we would do the things that we know to be right. And that through that, we would bless others by sharing our story, your work in our lives, just like the apostles shared your work in their lives. Lord Jesus, we, um, we are so thankful for this place. We're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for, uh, for Crossroads. We are so looking forward to see what you're going to do in and through us in the coming weeks and months. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen.